Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to the Corbett Report, specifically the questions for Corbett series, which, in case you hadn't noticed, is still ongoing. I just haven't had time to do a question lately, but let's correct that today. This is the 12th of February, 2021, and I'm going to roll up the sleeves with a question that I received several weeks ago now, but it is an iteration of a question that I've received quite a few times in the past couple of months, and I think it's worth putting on the record. This question comes from Stephen via the contact form on CorbettReport.com, and he writes, A few months ago, I was able to check up the raw data used for a meme going around social media claiming that the total death toll in the USA for 2020 was on track to be lower than 2019 and 2018, despite significant ongoing growth in the population. The raw data confirmed the meme. Sadly, try as I might, I can no longer find the raw data to confirm the meme. The CDC website, where I previously went to dig for the truth, appears to have obliterated all access to the raw numbers and filled their pages with excess deaths from COVID by race, gender, age, state, etc., etc. Do you have the tools, knowledge, access to get this important information? Can you continue investigating where I have come to a dead end? It is impossible for a new disease to kill an extra 270,000 people at last count, again this is several weeks old, and leave the country with 70,000 fewer deaths overall, 2,830,000 compared to 2,900,000 approximately, if it exists. I believe this is a simple slam dunk to destroy the the COVID exists narrative if we can only provide the data for it. All right, Stephen, thank you very much for the question, and this is one that resonates uh, with me because attentive viewers might recall that earlier in this ginned-up crisis, I did say something along the lines of, we will really be able to sort out what is or isn't happening here uh, when the all-cause mortality rate for the entire year is available. So here we are in 2021, February of 2021. Question is, do we have that number, and what does that tell us? So these are good questions. Unfortunately, spoiler, I'm going to say the slam dunk that you were looking for is not there because there are many, many factors to consider, even with something as seemingly simple as how many people died in this past year? Is it more than usual? There are so many different things to think about when it comes to this statistic. So let's start by rolling up our sleeves, seeing what we can find. Let's first of all turn to ourworldindata.org, which Yes, thank you for all you budding conspiracy realists in the crowd. Yes, this is a University of Oxford site, so obviously comes from a certain perspective with a slant, but we are looking at a definition just to find out what is the concept of excess mortality. And here they uh, they talk about uh, excess mortality is a term used in epidemiology and public health that refers to the number of deaths from all causes during a crisis above and beyond what we would have expected to see under normal circumstances. In this case, we're interested in how deaths during the COVID-19 pandemic compared to the average number of deaths over the same period in previous years. Excess mortality is a more comprehensive measure of the total impact of the pandemic on deaths that the confirm- than the confirmed COVID-19 death count alone. In addition to confirmed deaths, excess mortality captures COVID-19 deaths that were not correctly diagnosed and reported, as well as deaths from other causes that are attributable to the overall crisis conditions. So some interesting points embedded in that definition, which I think we'll be returning to. But if you really want to get into it and the different ways that you can calculate a number like excess mortality, of course, that does imply that there's some sort of 
normal or average that we're comparing against. How is that calculated? Well, it goes on to say, how is excess mortality measured? How does this allow us to compare countries? Excess mortality can be measured in several ways. The simplest way is to take the raw number of deaths observed in a given period during the COVID-19 pandemic, say week 10 of 2020, which ended on Sunday, 8th eighth of March, and subtract the average number of deaths in that week over the previous years, for example, the last five. So already, so obviously some arbitrary decisions being made here about the last five years, for example, or um, so taking this particular week. But anyway, so here's the calculation. Excess deaths week 10, 2020 uh, equals deaths in that week minus the average deaths of the past five years of that week. And it says, while the raw number of deaths helps give us a rough sense of scale, this measure has its limitations, including being less comparable across countries due to large differences in populations. So you can't just take raw numbers and extrapolate anything from them because the raw numbers are dependent on such things as, well, how many people are in this country? Uh, you might have, yes, many more people dying in a very populous nation like the US or like China, but uh, as compared to a very small pop, uh, population nation like Canada. But uh, what does that say? Is, what, so how do we sort out that, that, that noise from that signal? So it says a measure that is more comparable across, across countries is the P-score, which calculates excess mortality as the percentage difference between the number of weekly deaths in 2020-21 and the average number of deaths in the same week over the years 2015 to 2019. So again, you get the P-score and then you're averaging or you're calculating at deaths uh, for that week minus the average deaths over the average deaths times 100 to get the p-score the percentage so again it gets more complicated the more you start to think about it and it says we exclude the most recent weeks of data because it is incomplete this is an important thing to note it says mortality data is incomplete in the weeks and even months after a death occurs because of delays in reporting for example the chart here shows u.s data from 2016 on the completeness of death reporting by week after a death occurs after four weeks only 54% of deaths have been fully recorded. By eight weeks, this figure is 75%, and it doesn't reach 100% until almost a year after the date of death. Similar delays in reporting exist for all countries to varying extents. And you can see this curve here. Um, again, it takes time for this data to be reported through the system. So what you are seeing this week will be adjusted in the coming weeks, at least for this week, and even for up to a year before that, there are adjustments that are made. And this, sure, your spidey senses may be tingling here and you may be saying, well, that's there's room for fidgeting and fudge, fudging the numbers. Okay, true, but this is not unique to 2020. This is a known phenomenon that has been occurring for many years. And they even talk about the studies that have shown how long it takes um, for this to be reported and how um, the 2016 death rate that they're reporting on here has actually been improved on and speeds are higher um, to get that reported through the system uh, than they used to be. But still, there are weeks worth of lag in the data. So that's something to think about. The way that you're calculating this number makes huge difference in terms of what the number means. And uh, there's a lot of different ways that we can look at it. And so when you try to get to some, some, something like a bottom line number, you see, for example, excess mortality uh, during COVID-19, raw numbers of deaths from all causes compared to previous years, United States. And it shows 2020 as opposed to the other years in terms of just the raw number of deaths from all causes in each week of the crisis or yeah, each week reporting period. And clearly, this is higher than the previous five years. 
every single week, uh, at least going into the March period, of course, where we see that huge spike, and then it maintains consistently above the five-year average throughout the entire time. Um, and you can view this data in different ways, table, sources, you can get the download of the data itself. Um, and then it starts, uh, there are ways to look at this data, uh, for example, uh, by country, different countries, uh, Germany, Spain, uh, you can choose different countries on this chart here. But if we if we just go with this, you'll notice, for example, Spain, what the hell is happening in Spain in April that causes this incredible, nearly 200% spike in excess death um, in Spain specifically. It's absolutely unlike absolutely any other country on here in any other period of this crisis. So clearly something was happening in Spain specifically and to a much lesser extent. Um, uh, uh, these are actually, this is separated. These, both of these huge spikes are Spain. The huge, huge spike is Spain ages 85 plus, And the not so huge spike is Spain ages 15 to 64. And then the rest of the countries barely even register as a blip compared to the huge spike here. So what on earth is going on in Spain? Well, this gives us one window into the various ways that interpreting this data starts to complicate things. So for example, you can take, you can look at that incredible spike in Spain and say, what on earth is going on there? And then you can compare that to a report like this one from El País. The deadly toll of COVID-19 in Spain's care homes, 29,800 fatalities. It notes social services, a uh, service residences remain alert amid the third wave of the pandemic with more than 13,400 cases currently active, where it says, since the end of 2020, Spain has seen both the rollout of the coronavirus vaccination drive and a spike in new infections. But don't ever connect those, you conspiracy theorists. Uh, this has meant that residents of the country's care homes, which have been hardest hit by the virus, have not escaped the impact of the th third wave, even though they are in the first priority group for vaccination. How about if we changed out even though for because in that sentence and see how that affects our reading of it. So there are a lot of assumptions that are made when it comes to interpreting data like this. And it goes on to talk about the particular problems that Spain's care homes have had for elderly residents and the incredible amount of people that were dying in them, especially in that March-April period, which accounts for that huge spike in the excess mortality that we saw specifically in Spain and really specifically in ages 85 and up. And so what does that really tell us? I mean, clearly there's something happening in Spain that clearly wasn't happening in the same way in places like Germany, right? Which are clearly going through a very different spike or non-spike here. And again, play by country, you can add all sorts of different countries' data onto there. But what does that, so what does that mean? And is this then reflective of the fact that these viruses respect country borders and will act differently in different geographical areas? Or is there something actually happening differently in different countries that accounts for it more so than the narrative that we're being given about SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19? Well, let's look at another interesting report. This one from Sky News, and I'm looking at the archive.today version, so it, this is not the live version. On the live version, there is a video that you can watch. And so if you do decide to click through and give them the satisfaction of your clicks, you can watch that video in which they go through the data on excess mortality from the UK perspective, obviously, uh, in a number of different ways. 
And uh, it's interesting to watch the different charts that they use and the way that they interpret them. So, for example, you can, again, you can look at the raw number of just total deaths in England and Wales and plot it on this historical timeline going back to the 1840s. Uh, and up to 2020. And you can see, not only is there a huge spike in 2020 on this graph, but that it also represents pretty much, well, the largest spike since 1918, aka the last influenza pandemic. It should be noted this total deaths does not include military deaths in war. So obviously this takes World War I and World War II deaths, at least soldier deaths, out of it. This is civilian deaths. So we're not looking at that aspect of it. We're just looking at civilian deaths. And clearly there has not been a, this kind of a spike in all deaths since the great pandemic of 1918-1919. But actually, let's think about this for a second. What is different about the world of 2020 than the world of, say, 1950 or 1920 or 1840? Are there the same number of people in the UK today as there was uh, 50 or 100 or 150 years ago? Of course not. Of course, the population is incredibly much larger today. So you would expect there would be many more deaths in a much larger population, even if that is not reflective of some sort of mass casualty event, right? So there are ways of, calcu of, of taking that into account. So for example, um, you have um, deaths in England and Wales as uh, measured against, uh, again, total annual deaths um, on the timeline here. But then they go into uh, deaths in England and Wales population adjusted. So this is taking into account deaths per 1,000 population. So now we're taking into account the fact that the population used to be a lot smaller. So higher numbers of deaths represented a larger proportion of that per, uh, population. So then you can quite clearly see that, oh yes, okay, so population-adjusted mortality has been decreasing throughout the time from the records are going back to the 1840s here, has been more or less decreasing with spikes here and there. The great freeze of the uh, late 18, uh, 1890s, uh, the World War One, World War Two. You can see a little bit of in the data from the 1951 flu, for example. Is that from the... Well, anyway, you can see various spikes, but more or less, obviously, the trend is downward and pretty decidedly downward, especially towards uh, the end. Uh, and a little bit of an increase. It starts to go back up a little bit um, in the 2010s. And then we get this spike for 2020. But that puts it in a very different light. Suddenly, you're not looking at the 2020 spike as being, oh my God, this is the most deaths we've seen since uh, the flu pandemic. No, suddenly now we're seeing this as, oh, well, this is the most population-adjusted deaths per 1,000 people that we've seen since, what, 2001, 2002, something in there? Uh, again, of course, this isn't granular detail here on these charts, so we can we can only eyeball it, but it, it certainly puts it in a very different light, doesn't it? But then again, you can take population-adjusted excess deaths, uh, where you're looking at uh, deaths per 1,000 as the percentage of five-year average. So now you're looking at the population-adjusted excess mortality, but you're averaging that out over the past five years to see how much that's changing from the trend. So yes, uh, overall population-adjusted mortality is decreasing, but since since it is decreasing, let's put it in the context of the last five years and see whether it's increasing now. And now we can see there's a big jump in that average, that moving five-year average, uh, over the 
the last five-year period when compared to other periods against their moving five-year averages. Are you getting where this is going? Again, for people who don't work with statistics, this might not be easy to get your head wrapped around, but Suffice it to say, there are a lot of different ways of looking at data and a lot of different factors and considerations that you have to make, even in something that you would think is as straightforward as, as how many people died last year. And is that more than usual? What do you mean by usual? And against what? And how do you compare that to something 100 years ago in a different population base? So anyway, um, watch the full report um, from Sky if you can stomach it, um, because of course they're coming at it from the perspective of this is historically is significant, but they do show the different graphs that you can, and different ways you can interpret this data. And of course, one of the things that they see in there is, and this is even with the lockdowns, which must have saved many lives, an unknown and unknowable number of lives. So can you imagine how much worse it would have been if we hadn't locked down? Where have you heard that argument before? I'll let you think about it. We will return to that later. But anyway, that's just by way of saying this data is by no means a slam dunk. I do not think you're going to find any sort of slam dunk in any sort of data. And the numbers that Stephen was talking about in this question were dated from several weeks ago and clearly are different now. And there are some valid reasons for why that data would look different in February of 2021 than it would have in December of 2020 or October of 2020 because of lags in reporting and other things. So if you're just looking for numbers and datas and figure figures that you can download, and I believe I just said datas, so please point that out in the comments and laugh at it. That's the most important thing to take away from today. Um, CDC uh, has the daily updates of totals by week and state, COVID-19 mortality overview. There's the daily updates, weekly updates by select demographics. So you can look at such things as all deaths involving COVID-19 versus deaths from all causes, percent of expected deaths, deaths involving pneumonia. So it's broken down into several different uh, uh, categories here and you can see it again week by week. And this is date data as of February 11th, 2021. So again, it has to be taken in its context and know that these numbers will be adjusted and that that is actually to be expected to some extent. Now, again, feel free to be skeptical. I think if any number in all of this pandemonium, pandemonium um, is going to be more or less accurate quote unquote, it's going to be just total number of deaths, period. Without looking at how those deaths are classified and categorized and what we attribute them to, just the total number of dead bodies is going to be about one of the one of the only numbers that you'll be able to put your finger on, but not for up to a year from now, right? So um, again, you can take a look at this data. There's also excess deaths associated with COVID-19, which goes into a lot more detail about what, what they're saying in terms of weekly number of deaths from all causes. And I would look at the spike here and you can see the numbers they're using. Excess deaths associated with COVID-19 by age, race, and ethnicity. As Stephen was talking about, these are the types of numbers that they're, they're putting out there right now. Um, and you can see, well, look, all cause deaths, and then there's all causes excluding COVID-19. So, uh, Look, all of that, all of that light blue must be COVID-19, right? Because they say so. Well, where are they getting that and how are they getting that? Now, if you want more complication of something, again, that should be theoretically very straightforward, excess death, right? Well, uh, we can do that. Uh, let's turn to a very good video that was put out by Dr. Sam Bailey uh, talking about some of the problems associated with excess death, specifically looking at the issue of 
Excess death as a function of years of life lost. Another essential factor to take into account when considering excess mortality is not just the number of deaths, but the age at which the deaths occurred. From this, public health physicians can calculate years of life lost. It can be used to determine how much premature mortality there has been due to a specific cause of death. It gives greater weight to younger deaths. For example, if life expectancy is 80 years and there is a death of a 30-year-old, then this would be 50 years of life lost. A death of a 79 and a half year old would be six months of life lost. This is then summed up with all of the other premature deaths in that population and a years of life lost rate can be calculated, for example per 100,000 people. We can see the terrible impact things such as road traffic fatalities have on years of life lost because most of the time the victims are not expected to be anywhere near the end of their life. But what about COVID-19? Even if we accept that the excess deaths are all caused by COVID-19, and don't worry, I'll get onto that in a minute, are we seeing a huge increase in years of life lost? Even as far back as April, Dr. Klaus Puschel, head of Hamburg Forensic Medicine, told the Hamburger Arbeidenblatt that the so-called COVID-19 fatalities he examined all had such serious pre-existing conditions that even if this sounds harsh, they would all have died in the course of this year. John Ioannidis has done a recent analysis suggesting that while some analysts have calculated around one year of life lost for each COVID case, this number is likely to come down further as all comorbidities are taken into account. And remember, this is based on the premise that they are actually all COVID cases, which remains highly questionable. Another time we might see excess deaths without years of life lost is following several years of mild winters, where the elderly population builds and then a catch-up year when these older than expected people die. Following periods of excess deaths in the elderly, we may see a subsequent reduction in mortality rates, which is known as the harvesting effect. Of course, this all raises serious concerns about lockdowns. If we are not seeing significant years of life lost from a virus, then what is the point of these policies? I hope you will go and watch that full video. I will, of course, link it up in the show notes at CorbettReport.com so that you can go and watch that full video because I think Dr. Bailey makes a number of important points about this excess mortality number and what it means and what it doesn't mean and what we can extrapolate, what we can't know, and what we should take into account when looking for that slam dunk argument that we're going to have uh, with people. There are many different things to consider. And one of the things uh, that is uh, brought out in that is this this question of other explanations for why there may be excess deaths during this declared crisis other than the official cause of this excess mortality, which is, of course, COVID-19. Well, almost all of it is COVID-19. Well, what, what if there are some other factors? Just as one example of which, we can look at that big spike in excess mortality in certain locations, like, for example, in New York in the early stages, in March, for example. What was happening there that caused all those deaths to happen at that point specifically and largely in the elderly care homes? Well, you can go back to my fourth annual Fake News Awards where I talked about uh, Governor Cuomo and his role in uh, helping to expand those numbers by uh, taking sick elderly patients and, and forcing them back into care homes where uh, obviously their health outcomes were significantly reduced. And uh, 
Secondarily, you can look at the actual medical procedures that were being used at that time. For example, we had this study coming out relatively early in April of last year. Study most New York COVID patients on ventilators died. And yes, uh, among the 2,634 patients for whom outcomes were known at that time, this being reported in April 2020 again, the overall death rate was 21%, but it rose to 88%. For those who received mechanical ventilation, the Northwell Health COVID-19 Research Consortium reported. Now, there are a couple of ways to interpret that data, one of which might be to say, yes, well, only the sickest of the sick needed to be put on ventilators, so we would expect the sickest of the sick to have worse outcomes. Of course, there's going to be a higher rate of mortality there, but 21% versus 88% still seems exceptionally large. It almost seems like maybe this ventilation isn't helping, which is, of course, ultimately what was decided, and uh, and of course, the recommendations for treating these COVID-19 patients in the ICU have changed so that uh, ventilation is not delivered quite as early as it was in that early stage where we saw this great spike in excess deaths. So, of course, take that into the context of the reporting. For example, you might have been following the Perspectives on the Pandemic series, which talked, for example, they talked to Erin Ozlewski, who was a nurse who went from Florida to New York to work at the ground zero of the New York epidemic, Elmhurst, where she was blowing the whistle and saying she was being overridden by doctors and they were um, in some pla- in some cases mistreating or not not effectively treating their patients so that they could then place them on ventilators which was essentially assigning them to death she saw many patients die on ventilators that did not need to die she fought for them they, she was consistently over overruled by the the doctors in charge and she was trying to blow the whistle on that type of uh, that that type of medical mistreatment that was happening. Could that account for some of these excess deaths that were happening as all of this pando- pandemonium and hysteria was happening? How many of them? How are we going to get to the bottom of that part of the excess death number? And that's only one fraction, one slice of that number. What are some other potential explanations for what's going on? Well, on the bigger, bigger picture, um, you don't have to go far out into the conspiracy fringes. You can give the normie-friendliest links to your normie friends, like Time, time time.com. When have they ever lied to you? COVID-19-linked hunger could cause more deaths than the disease itself. New report finds, and this is talking about a report published by Oxfam uh, back in July of last year, where the report found that 121 million more people could be pushed to the brink of starvation this year as a result of disruption of food production and supplies, diminishing aid, as well as mass unemployment. The report estimates that COVID-19-related hunger could cause 12,000 deaths per day. The peak global mortality rate for COVID-19 in April was 10,000 deaths per day. Now, I haven't seen any indication that there is that uh, 10, 12,000 deaths per day or anything like it being attributed directly to COVID-related restrictions and shutdowns, but it would be very difficult to tease that number out of the overall global data, wouldn't it? And who is working on that? And by the way, doesn't that raise the whole point of how many people are dying of malnutrition each year anyway? Is it significantly more than the number of deaths that have been attributed to COVID-19? And if so, why are we collectively, as a civilization, freaking out, upending everything, going into the new normal headfirst, and have people frothing at the mouth, lock those damn quarantine evaders up, people getting on board with this 
for something that is killing far, far, far fewer people than real problems like death, malnutrition, uh, malnutrition leading to death, famine, children starving to death, which is happening regardless of this pandemic or not. And oh, by the way, reports indicate it's going to get a lot, a lot, a lot worse. So that, that could be something to consider in all of this. How about this Report Again, mainstream news, SouthAfrican.com. Uh, South African researchers say lockdown nearly 30 times more deadly than disease. And this is a report that was put, put out um, by some actu- uh, actuaries at Santa Partners. And uh, they, they, their model was looking specifically at that years of life lost that uh, Dr. Bailey was talking about. Our latest estimate is that South America's lockdown will cause a loss of life of at least 29 times greater than the loss of life it stands to prevent. It would be no exaggeration to say that each week of continuing lockdown will, in the long run, result in more loss of life than the disease itself. And uh, you can turn to the New York Times, the old gray lady. 2020 was especially deadly. COVID wasn't the only culprit, in which they at least, at least acknowledge that. They do say that more than a quarter of deaths above normal have been from other causes, including diabetes, Alzheimer's, high blood pressure, pneumonia, According to a New York Times analysis, blah, blah, blah. Some of these additional deaths may actually have been due to COVID-19, but they could have been undiagnosed or misattributed to other causes. Many of them are most likely indirectly related to the virus and caused by disruptions from the pandemic, including strains on healthcare systems, inadequate access to supplies like ventilators or people avoiding hospitals for fear of exposure to the coronavirus. So again, excess deaths, even again, we're taking so much of this sort of normie narrative of what's going on at face value, but even within that normie narrative, they are admitting, yes, of course, because of the massive wide-scale disruptions that are going on, people won't have access to the types of medical services that they would have for their basic medical conditions that have nothing to do with COVID-19, or people are having problems making ends meet. There's mass unemployment, which leads to deaths of despair. There's so many different ways that what is happening on the grander scale and the restrictions themselves can be contributory to an excess death number, that yes, it seems from the numbers that are coming out that there was an excess death, excess mortality last year, that there were more people dying last year than would have been expected in a lot of different countries. Please find your own sources for your own country, dive into the numbers, see what you can find. But I wonder... In fact, I openly question the desire to find some sort of slam-dunk argument in those numbers, even if you were to find that there was no huge, significant uh, difference in, in excess death. But given that there seems to be an excess death situation that occurred last year, what does that mean? And what does that tell us? Is that attributable to COVID-19? Or are there many, many other factors that play into that? And the answer, of course, is there are many, many other factors that play into that. But let's take it a step deeper. Let's take it again at face value that there was some sort of excess mortality event that took place last year in places like the US and the UK and other places, Spain, and, and other places that you can dig up this data. And, and let's say it can be directly attributable to a communicable disease called COVID-19 that's transmitted via SARS-CoV-2. Let's take it all at face value. What does that say? What does that mean? What does that tell us? What does that mean about how we should structure society? Because it seems to me implicit in the idea that we're going to find a slam dunk argument. See, there was no big excess deaths. Therefore, this is all a waste. Therefore, we can go on with life as it used to be. 
implicit in that is the presumption that if there was that excess death, 100,000 or whatever it was that took place because of this novel coronavirus, if that were true, then the other side who are arguing lockdowns and restrictions and we have to give up all of our, any pretense to rights and what, what constitution, uh, who cares? Let's do, uh, lock people away. All of that would be justified if there was an excess death situation developing because of a communicable disease. But that is exactly, exactly the heart of what I warned about a year ago when this was first developing. This was one of my first statements about what was happening right now, that we must not concede that part of the argument because they are going to find ways to make the numbers look like to the average person very scary and look you know there's lots of deaths that are happening we have to confront the underlying assumption that because there is an excess death situation excess mortality taking place that we are therefore obliged to give up our rights in fact to turn them on their heads so we are now obligated to lock ourselves away lest we contribute to that excess death situation. We are being asked to accept this abrogation of our most precious freedoms, including our freedom to travel, our freedom of association and assembly, our freedom from arbitrary detention within the walls of our own home, our freedom of privacy in transaction and interaction, and other hard-fought freedoms that were purchased at the price of our forefathers' blood on the basis of a novel coronavirus that is presenting, presenting a novel existential threat to humanity that has never before existed. But that, of course, is a lie, because every single flu season for your entire life, there have been just such hypothetical chains of infection that have taken place. And I have no doubt, let's put it on the table, I have no doubt that there is someone listening to my words right now who has been involved in some chain of infection that has ended up in some immunocompromised person dying. Never before has that person had to think of themselves as a murderer, let alone lock themselves within the confines of their own home to prevent such a murder from ever taking place again. But that is what we are being asked to accept right now. And I want this out on the table, because if we do not clearly articulate this principle that we are being asked to accept, then by our silence, we will con consent to it. We will tacitly, implicitly consent to what is taking place right now, and I want to clearly state it and clearly reject it. Now, there may be some people in the crowd who disagree with me, so first of all, let me put something else out on the table and make it very clear that, of course, none of what I say is to in any way undermine the basic right that everyone has, everyone always has had, and everyone always will have to take whatever precautionary measures they feel is necessary in order to prevent such a chain of infection from taking place, including isolating yourself in your own home, wearing whatever protective gear you want, socially distancing yourself from anyone you come in contact with, or anything else that you feel is appropriate to prevent such a chain of infection. Of course, you have that right. But that negative right is now being flipped on its head into a positive obligation on everyone in society to stop all productive human activity, to lock everyone up in their homes, and to treat them as prisoners, tracking and surveilling everything that they do and everyone that they come in contact with 
on the basis of a hypothetical chain of infection that could take place. And I want that out on the table. If you agree with that principle and you think that is a good thing, then clearly state it. State it to my face. Oh wait, you can't because you are a prisoner within the walls of your own home and you are not allowed into Japan, but you probably think that's a good thing. But at least say it to my digital face. Clearly state that you agree with the abridgment of our most basic freedoms on the basis of this hypothetical chain of infection. And clearly state what, where your line in the sand is. What do you think would be going too far for the government to do on the back of such a pandemic panic. Biometric ID, tracing and tracking every movement of every citizen at all times for the rest of their lives? Or uh, the ability to march into people's homes to check for potential infections and forcibly vaccinate them if need be? Or any other number of measures that are now coming into view as a result of this panic? Where is your line in the sand? Clearly state it so that when that line is crossed, people will see that you are a hypocrite for cheering it on. Unless there is no line in the sand and you think that governments are justified in doing anything that any presumed health authority says in the light of a pandemic situation. But at least state it openly and on the record. Don't hide behind vague, fluffy, woolly language. Tell us what you specifically, not the agents of the state to whom you outsource your violence, but you would do in order to prevent people from living their lives in the event of a pandemic. This, I think, is the question. Where do you draw that line in the sand? If there were an excess mortality event taking place because of a spreading communicable disease, would that justify lockdowns, shutdowns, restrictions? What policies would it justify? In what circumstances? How many deaths? How many deaths would it take before you no longer have a right to leave your own home at the say-so of the health authorities? And who gets to make that decision? These are the fundamental questions. And I understand the desire to have some sort of slam dunk to say, look, see, there's no excess deaths, it's not happening, nothing's happening, so let's go back to regular, as if that argument is going to have an effect. It is not going to have an effect on anyone. I'm, I'm telling you this right now. It is a point that I made uh, in my propaganda watch about same facts, opposite conclusions. I will reiterate, reiterate it here, and I will, uh, again, I'll direct you to that Sky News video of them saying, yeah, look, uh, th these are bad numbers, but they would have been so much worse without the lockdowns. So there's no way to win that argument. Um, people are going to read the data in whatever way they want. And I hope I've at least gestured toward the fact that this data is a lot more complicated than it would seem at first glance. How many people died? Is it more than usual? Okay, then, then we can lock you down, right? Well, there are so many more things to be considered here. And uh, and ultimately, I think it's about principle. I think it's about the principle of where we draw that line and who gets to draw it and in what way and who gets to tell who when the pandemic is started and when it's over and and uh, and, and how many deaths the, are we willing to accept and how many deaths never again. Never again will someone who's 93 years young ever again die on my watch. I mean, they can die of starvation, but as long as they don't die diagnosed with COVID-19. And then, of course, you get into the questions of, you know, how are these deaths being attributed and all of that. But the excess death 
argument is meant to get around all of that, to say, look, this is just the raw number of dead bodies that are piling up. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to lock you up in your own home and you're going to become a digital prisoner for the rest of your life. Uh, COVID passport to leave your home, right? Nope. That's where I draw my line in the sand. Nope. I'm not going to live like that. That is not for me. Uh, if you, If other people are scared to death to leave their own home, they... They have the rights they've always had to hermetically seal themselves within whatever property they own and just sit there for the rest of their lives and never again have contact with the outside world. You are 100% free to take care of yourself in whatever way you see fit and to wall yourself off from the rest of humanity. But when you start saying you now have a right to tell other people that they have to wall themselves off from the rest of humanity, that's, that's when you have a... Well, those are fighting words, aren't they? So there's so much more to say about just this question of excess mortality. I'll throw in some more resources for people who do want to pry even further under the hood. For example, there's a Mercola article on gunshots, motorcycle death count, uh, deaths count as COVID casualties that does get into the issue of excess deaths. Uh, there's uh, a report from Green Med Info about uh, Johns, Johns Hopkins research, uh, no excess deaths from COVID-19, official stats are misleading, indicating misclassification, which revolves around that very interesting uh, student publication that was put out and retracted, and uh, you can find all sorts of fact checks and debunkers about it. But anyway, you can read more about it if you haven't yet. I'll even throw in, again, more normie links to just plain stats, just numbers as they're being reported, euromomo.eu slash graphs and maps. So there's lots of data that you can play around with, but I think until and unless we address that key core underlying fundamental issue, we're not going to get to the heart of this and what the what this is really about, which is the implementation of the biosecurity state and that you are now obliged to participate in the active keeping of other people's health by doing what the authorities are telling you to do. Lock yourselves in a room, starved from any sunlight. Uh, who cares about your mental health? Who cares about your employment and p potential for making a living, your ability to feed yourself and your family? All of that is secondary to COVID-19, which has become the one and only thing in the world that matters. The driving, organizing principle for all every human activity in the world until the health authorities declare this pandemic over. Hmm. I wonder whose interests that serves and what is being excluded from that conversation. Anyway, I want to thank Stephen and all the people who have written in about this excess death question. I understand where the, the question is coming from and what people are hoping to get out of it. From looking at the numbers myself, I think there was an excess death situation that happened last year. I don't think it's an overwhelming, unbelievable, we've never seen this in our lifetime kind of excess death scenario, uh, especially when you look at it as a percentage of uh, the population. But there is something that happened in 2020, but that something may have something to do with the shutting down of worldwide economic activity, shutting people in their homes, denying them basic medical services, etc., etc. That might have something to do with the excess death situation. But even so, the fundamental question, how many deaths before it becomes uh, right to take away your rights? That's the question. Anyway, that's going to do it for this Questions for Corbett. Thank you again for your time and attention. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Looking to, forward to talking to you again in the near future.